Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. My name is Tim. If you got a letter in the post that explained that you had just stood to inherit millions of pounds from a totally unknown relative, you'd be intrigued, but I'm sure that you'd be very sceptical. You'd think, no way. You know, even if it's from a solicitor, it's on a nice solicitor's paper, it's got the nice letterhead. You'd think, absolutely no way, this must be a scam. People fall for scams all the time like this, and I'm not one of them. But you wouldn't throw the letter away, would you? You'd check it out, right? You, just, you might just Google the name of the solicitors. Are they, are they real? Where's their offices? Oh, interesting. And then maybe you'd think, okay, Aunt Agatha, she's popped her clogs. Mm, Aunt Agatha, I'm sure my mum mentioned Aunt Agatha once, maybe years ago. In other words, you would check it out. You'd consider it. You'd investigate it. Why? Because the offer is too good. The news is too good. What you stand to receive is too good not to consider it, not to investigate it, not to explore it. Well, so it is with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it is with the events of Easter. It is too good not to explore. It's too wonderful. The news is too good not to consider it. The promise of Easter offers us so much. And today as I speak, I want to consider that offer. What does Easter offer us? Now, pop culture might tell you that Easter is a spring festival full of bunnies, eggs, chicks, and my favorite, the chocolate eggs. But let me reassure you, it is so much more than that. What's Easter about? What does it offer us? Let's consider a few things. Firstly, Easter is about the empty tomb. Easter is about an empty tomb. How did your Easter Sunday begin? I have to confess that the first thing I did when I woke up this morning was have some chocolate. Um, Maybe you did exactly the same thing too. But that first Easter Sunday began in grief and faithfulness. Grief as the friends, family and followers of Jesus mourned the loss of Jesus Christ. But faithfulness as they followed the customs of the day for a burial and a proper funeral. It says this, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So the women, that's Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, they're faithfully following the customs of the day. They had prepared to honour the body of Jesus by preparing spices, not for embalming, but as was the Jewish custom, but to cover up the smell of decay, to cover up the smell of death. Now, they might have prepared spices, but let me tell you, they were not prepared for what happened next. Verse 2 says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And then it says that they were wondering about this. Easter is about the empty tomb. When they came to the place of Jesus' burial, they must have had such a shock, for there in the very first light of morning, the stone was rolled away. And they must have thought, ah, there's somebody else here. Maybe the gardener's here. Maybe someone else is here to look after the body of Jesus. But we're the ones here to do that. So why would there be anyone else? So maybe when they entered it, they expected to see someone else. But then, even more to their surprise, Jesus is not there. The tomb is empty. They did not find the body of Jesus. So not only is the stone rolled away, but the tomb was empty. What would you do in that situation? 
Well, I expect that you'd do, and I would do, exactly what they'd do. You'd start wondering, what on earth was going on? Verse four says why they were wondering about this. So maybe they were thinking to themselves, but I bet they were having a conversation. And you could overhear it, couldn't you? They began to ask each other, where is he? Where is our Lord? Where's the body of Jesus? Has has somebody taken him? But maybe they started to wonder, is this even the right place? Is this even the right grave? You know, Mary, maybe she turned to Joanna. Joanna, are you sure this is the right grave? You're just like your father. You're terrible with directions. And Joanna's defending herself, saying, no, 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 this is the right place, into the garden, left past the olive tree, left past the flower bed. It's on the left, you can't miss it. Here we are, this is the tomb of Jesus. They were wondering about it. But they had indeed come to the right place. They had come to the right tomb, and it was an empty tomb. Easter is about the empty tomb. And as I read this, I couldn't help but see the contrast that Luke draws, the Dr. Luke, as he wrote his account, He draws a contrast between something he names and something we see the effect of, but he doesn't name. And by this, I mean the contrast between the spices and the spirit. That's right, the spices and the spirit. Firstly, the spices prepared by the women for Jesus' body. But secondly, the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.11 tells us that it was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So what we see, in other words, is the contrast between human effort and the very power of God. When someone dies, all humans can do, all we can do is temporarily mask the smell of death with spices. All we can do is temporarily mask the smell of decay, but God can raise the dead. All we can do is temporarily mask a smell, but God can bring life through the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason the women didn't found the tomb, they stone rolled away, the reason they found the empty tomb was because God had raised Jesus to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus entered Mary's womb through the Holy Spirit and he left that Easter tomb through the Holy Spirit. Easter is about the empty tomb. But it's more than that. The empty tomb points us to a risen saviour. It speaks of a risen saviour because there those those women are wondering on earth what happened, accusing each other of the wrong directions, when suddenly things get even stranger. Suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. That gleamed like lightning. As they're there, two angels suddenly appear to tell them exactly what has happened. And as they do, they say those famous and wonderful Easter words. He is not here. He has risen. They say, why do you look for the living among the dead. Now, of course, if they were good Anglicans, those women would have responded, he's risen indeed, hallelujah. But because they were first century Jews, it's probably unlikely that they didn't. But what the angels are confirming is that Jesus' body isn't there, not because he's been stolen, but because he's alive, that he's living. Easter is about a risen saviour. Because look at what the angels say to them. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And as we consider the offer of Easter here, let's focus on one key word from that amazing phrase. The key word here is must. The Son of Man must be delivered to sinners. The Son of Man must be crucified, and he must be raised again. For Jesus' saving mission to be fulfilled, as Jesus himself said, Jesus himself said, those things must happen. 
Now, particularly as we think about how we're saved from our sin, we generally focus on that second one, don't we? We focus on the crucifixion, and rightly so, because it was the events of Good Friday, it was Jesus' crucifixion. That is where we are made right with God as Jesus took our sin upon himself. Maybe today you need to hear this for the first time. All we've ever done, our sin, it disconnects us from God. It puts our partition between us and God. It cuts us off. It separates us. But to break down that dividing wall, to break down everything that separated us, Jesus upon the cross took our sin upon himself and then he took the judgment for our sin upon himself so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be restored to God, so that nothing might stand in the way of us and a holy and loving God. But Jesus said, and the angels confirm, that Jesus must also rise again. You see, his dying for our sins isn't completed unless he was, rise, unless he was resurrected. Because we don't just need saving from our partition of sin, all that separates us. We need saving from the punishment of sin, which is death. But what the angels told those women that first Easter morning is that all that Jesus promised had, would happen had indeed come true. Jesus' mission to save us was completed because in rising again, he won the victory over death so that death might not bind us anymore. Oh, death, where is your sting? We can be saved from the punishments of sin because Jesus is alive. Not only did he win our forgiveness on Good Friday, but he won our eternal life on Easter Sunday. It's like he sealed the deal. In the words of a song we're about to sing, then came the morning that sealed the promise. Easter is about a risen saviour who won for us our salvation, whose mission was completed. He was risen. So Easter is about an empty tomb. It's about a risen saviour. Not, of course, that the disciples understood that at first. Classic disciples. When you read through the Gospels, there's all sorts of accounts of them not getting it. And this is where it really strikes me that the Gospel accounts might actually be a true story. Because if you were trying to base, you know, make a religion, wouldn't you say that the first disciples of Jesus totally understood what was given to them? They heard the news and they dutifully worshipped God. They got on their knees and said, thank you, yes, we totally understand. Yeah, got it, thank you, Lord, you're alive, brilliant, I believe. And then they immediately started and went to telling everyone. But that's not what happened. Look what happens in verse 11. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Like nonsense. I mean, wouldn't it seem like nonsense to you? Okay, so the stone is rolled away. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Empty tomb. You're beginning to lose me here. Glowing angels. Yeah, this is getting really problematic. Jesus is actually alive. No way, you'd say. That must be nonsense. But look what Peter does. Verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself, what had happened. Upon hearing the amazing news, Peter investigates it. He checks it out. He considers it. He explores it and he wonders about it. Why? Well, because just like receiving a letter that says you stand to inherit millions of pounds, the offer was too great not to do so. The implications of it were too great. They were too wonderful not to go and see for himself. And we know that Peter really did consider it. He went there, he saw the empty tomb. He saw those strips of linen. And we know that he worked out what he meant. We know that he considered it for himself and what it means for everybody. 
Because that same Peter who on Easter Sunday morning ran to the tomb of Jesus would later write a letter to Christians all around the Mediterranean explaining the hope of Easter. In the first chapter of the letter of Peter, the Apostle Peter wrote this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. The empty tomb and the risen saviour mean that we can have a living hope. Peter worked it out. He saw that God had raised Jesus to life. He realised what it meant. And he saw that in the lavish, boundless mercy of God for all those who trust in Jesus Christ through faith, the empty tomb and the risen saviour mean we can have a living hope. Easter is about a living hope. And this living hope is so tangible, it's not hard to grasp, it's not abstract. He says there are three things. Firstly, he says, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't just mean our sins are forgiven, but that we are born again. He says he has given us new birth. You see, the witness of the New Testament is that we're not just sick in our sin. We're not just corrupted in our sin, but we are dead in our sin. And we don't just need good morals. We need waking up. In fact, in our sin, we're just like Jesus was on Easter Saturday, dead in a tomb. And we can't revive ourselves with our good deeds. In fact, our good deeds are just like those spices that women brought. They're powerless to do anything except mask the smell a bit. We too need the spirit, not the spices. But Jesus was brought to life and says, so too can you be brought to life. We were dead in our sins and transgressions, but because of his great love for us, God made us alive with Christ. Easter therefore isn't just about Jesus' empty tomb, but your empty tomb and my empty tomb as we see that God has raised us from death to life. Think of another resurrection story in the Gospels, the story of Lazarus. Jesus comes to his friend's tomb and he weeps. But then he says those amazing words. He says to Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus does just that. And so Jesus stands at your tomb and says to you, come forth. And as we respond in faith, God wakes us up. As the words of that hymn say, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, I went forth and I followed thee. We've been given new birth. And we've been given new birth into a living hope. This is the second thing. So there's our past dealt with, our sin, and here's our present. We've been given a living hope. We know exactly the end from the beginning. We know the author and perfect of our faith. We know where we're headed. We know why we're here. We have hope, hope that can never be taken away. Hope that does not disappoint us because it has been poured into our hearts by the love of God. And then also, as well as a hope in the present, we have a reality that we're looking towards. Peter says we've been giving an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. He means heaven. He means you have a destiny as you trust in Jesus Christ. You know where you're going. We're going to be with Jesus. We have the hope of heaven that can never be taken away from us. And this totally life-changing news, this living hope is all possible because Jesus is alive. The wonder of Easter is that we have a living hope. We do not put our trust in a philosophy. 
We do not put our trust in a long dead teacher who said some good things. We put our trust in a risen saviour who says to us, because I live, so will you. I will resurrect you in this life and I will resurrect you for the next. And now we can have such trust and such certainty in this because God has already done it. He's already won the victory. He's already raised Jesus to life. We have a living hope in the one who is alive. Easter is about the empty tomb. It's about a risen saviour. And that means we can have a living hope. Amen? Amen. Now I could end the sermon there. I've done my three points. We've reached the nice emotional climax. What I want to encourage you to do is do the Alpha course. There is evidence for the resurrection. Come on the Alpha course. We've got evidence for the resurrection, historical evidence. Check it out for yourself. Do what Peter did. But one of the great pieces of evidence for the resurrection is not just what God did, but what God continues to do. We have a living hope. God changes people's lives. He didn't just change those first apostles' lives. He will change your life. He's changed my life. And what I did was ask some members of our church family, what has God done for you? And I just want to share some of their stories as we end today. I want to show us what this living hope really means as I share their testimonies. You ready for that? Let me share some stories. Here's one person from our church. What has Jesus done for me? Too much to mention. Lifted my perspective, coloured in my view of the world, opened my eyes, helped me not to worry, provided for me and my family, even when all looked lost. He's given me great joy. Overall, he has given me a clear sense of purpose, banished my pre-Christian sense of purposelessness and blessed my life richly in the things that are really right for me rather than those which I think I might want. Here's another. I didn't know I was spiritually dead until I was made spiritually alive. Accepting Jesus' offer of forgiveness for my wrongdoing means I can walk daily in relationship with God for eternity. I'm so thankful. The difference is that even though life can be very hard at times, I have a deep security that I am loved and known by the God of this world and that my future is certain. All this brings me a crazy joy, peace, hope and freedom that nothing else in this world can bring. Here's another one. Before I met Jesus, I thought my life was going great. I was developing a successful career. I had a lovely group of friends and I was having lots of fun. However, looking back, I was also never satisfied and my fragile sense of self was overwhelmingly connected to what I was achieving. I was constantly striving for more of everything, more milestones, more fun, more success, more savings, more friends, more opportunities. It was exhausting. It was developing me into a character I didn't like. I became a Christian after going to an Alpha course at HCC. You should do that. Since meeting Jesus, I've discovered a deep sense of peace. Life hasn't miraculously become a breeze, but it does feel much deeper and more meaningful. And I find really tough life events far easier to get through now than I did before. I'm now at ease with who I'm becoming and overwhelmed by the quiet joy of watching God move in my life. I think Jesus put it best. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Here's another one. Although I was raised in the church, I threw that life away as a young man in favour of sex, drugs and rock and roll. After many years of self-abuse, I turned into a drunk and was about two steps away from living on the street. When I became desperate enough, I asked God for help. He broke my bondage to alcohol and drugs instantly, but I still hated Jesus and wanted nothing to do with him. 
Over the next 10 years, the Holy Spirit softened my heart until I was finally able to call Jesus Lord. Today, it shakes me to the core to think that I might have run too far away from him to ever return. Here's another one. For over 10 years of my life, I looked in the mirror and despised everything about the person I saw. At no point did I not believe in God, but I could not remotely fathom how he could ever begin to believe in me. 15 years on and I realized that Christ was alongside me at every moment, that the darkest moments were shaping me as a disciple and servant, that the ransom had already been paid for the brokenness of my early journey. And here's one more. My dad passed away when I was 17. There is one verse that completely characterizes what Jesus means in my life. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God has been my father and a defender of my mother. Yes, God is Lord, a person in charge of the universe. But my dad passing led me to see God as father, someone who is close by, interested in the day-to-day, tiny, insignificant life events, someone you can talk to about routine things, get life and career advice from, and laugh with. It's hard to put into words, but God the Father gives me the love, attention, guidance, and protection that an earthly father would. He cares, and feeling this on a day-to-day basis means I can genuinely say that I lack nothing from being without an earthly father. My heart is healed completely, and my life is whole. In fact, since my dad passed, and God stepped in as my father, my contentment, joy, peace, and life progress has been incomparable. God not only filled the gap, but in his unique way, made my life immeasurably better as a result. There is hope, and his name is Jesus. There is hope, there is a living hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. And on that first Easter morning, he rose again from the, death, from the dead. And he offers you this living hope again today. And says, if you trust in me, I will raise you from death to life. He says, if you trust in me, I'll give you a hope and a purpose and a direction in your life that nothing can shake. He says, if you trust in me, I'll give you an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Because I am not dead, but I am alive. Jesus is alive. And as we come to respond in worship I just want to give a chance for anybody today maybe you've not given your life yet to Jesus Christ and you want to respond and say yeah I want that living hope so I want to encourage us to just to bow our heads in prayer and I want to say a prayer and for maybe there are some of you here today you just want to pray this prayer again or maybe you're here today and you think actually I want to pray this prayer for the first time Lord Jesus Christ I'm sorry for the things I have done I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you rose again and won eternal life for me. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.